Today's episode has been brought to you by our Lord and Savior, Mark Simmons, the second of Touch Biloxi. Mark brings us the sun each morning, and with his almighty arm, he holds up the very sky. Now in his infinite wisdom, he brings us the holy gift of his music. Every Touch Biloxi album can be found for free at touchbiloxi.bandcamp.com with option to donate. He is the light, the truth, and the way of an eclectic measure of sounds that are sure to delight your senses. Please enjoy responsibly. Praise him. Praise Touch Biloxi. Please also like Touch Biloxi on Facebook and vote Touch Biloxi for best solo slash duo at the Covey Awards because he covets the Covey. And that's that's only an ad message we could get from Mr. Mark Simmons. Nice. And you're going to be hearing that for the next month. (laughs) (laughs) He's going to send us different, utterly hilarious messages to read in our podcast. Yeah, go check out Touch Biloxi on Facebook. He has sponsored this entire month of August. Uh, Go check him out. He's a funny dude. If you missed the episode with him, he was on a few episodes ago. Go check him out, Touch Biloxi. And for right now... I'm going to play our theme song. Praise Mark. It is Thursday night, and it is time for another Open Micers podcast. My name is Jason Robbins. I'm Jacob Craig. Yeah, you are. And uh, we have a really, really awesome guest tonight. He played f- the one and only Frank, Frank N. Stein in Monsters oh. Anonymous. <laughs> He's been on, you've seen him on CSI, on Claws. N- NCIS yeah, New N- Orleans. NCIS New Orleans, the Purge the TV show. Dude's been everywhere. Please give a warm welcome to Mr. Dan Levy. Praise All praises to Mark Simmons. <laughs> so I, the first thing I want to ask you is how often do you get uh, confused with the other Dan Levy, the, the the writer for Schitt's Creek? It's not so much that I get confused with him. It's just that people like to mess with me about the, just the fact that I have his name. Yeah. <laughs> like, I actually get more confused with um, – I used to get John Mayer all the time. Really? John Mayer Mayer was a really common thing that I got uh, in terms of looks for whatever reason. Hmm. And then uh, when Fifty Shades of Grey came out, uh, I got a ton of, uh, what's the guy, Jamie Dornan? What's his name? Yeah. Yeah, that's his name. Yeah. So uh, when that came out, that was that kind of took over. So did you have a ton what? of middle-aged uh, housewives uh, chasing you down the street? <laughs> in, le- in leather, yeah, wearing leather and carrying their whips, yeah. <laughs> Hell yeah! That's a that's a daily struggle for me personally. Well, yeah, yeah it, it was a great it was a great life. <laughs> it, was a, it was great while it lasted, that's for sure. So before we get into the uh, the Monsters Anonymous stories, uh, we were talking before the show, and and I kept saying, let's save this for the show. But you actually, um, you know, I had asked you how your your career was going because you were you were taken off there for a while, and and you kind of came back with uh, you had taking some time off because la was just tell us about it man tell us all about your la um, your la trip well uh let's clarify first that career is kind of a loose term at least (laughs) for me uh (laughs) 
mainly because uh as you know jason uh the acting scene is kind of hard to to uh to crack yeah you know there's a lot of catch 22s that you have to kind of navigate um and then there's some politics that you have to play until you finally get representation and then start uh then you got to get the next level which is the politics of the casting directors and then once you're on their radar then you can start to book things and and they don't even they shortlist you. you you don't even compete with a bunch of other actors at that point they're like hey uh i've got this role you're perfect for it come read for it and i'll send your tape in and see what they say i think the thing that that's actually how i booked uh ncis new orleans yeah i think the biggest thing biggest eye opener for me and i don't know if this was the same for you was the audition process because yeah auditioning is just tiring man it just got to the point i just didn't even want to do it anymore yeah it's um you know, I got to say that I heard enough people uh, warn me about the difficulties and all the catch 22s about trying to, to quote unquote, make it. Uh-huh. Um, so nothing was really so much an eye opener for me until I got to Los Angeles. Yeah. And then I, then it was just <laughs> like, I, I mean, I met so many people who, you know, they, they give up on their dreams and it kind of drove me to question why and then i started to kind of feel the vibes in la and and the more people i met the more i kind of understood how somebody uh specifically somebody who doesn't really know themselves yeah um just get lost in los angeles and then eventually just get to a place where um you know maybe they hit a, a roadblock where they hit they they get representation and uh, it's not uncommon for representation out there to request nude photos, things like that. So wow. uh, some of the people I met, they had that that experience and they were just like, this isn't for me. I, you know, they want to act. They don't want to, you know, they don't they didn't go out there to, to Californicate to, to yeah. make it on the silver screen. They want to they wanted to do it with their talent and their passion. And um, unfortunately, L.A. is not that market. So, and that, that was, that's actually what I think my mistake was, was leaving the Gulf Coast market. Because even though the roles down here were not as big, they were getting bigger progressively Mm. and it was a steady growth. Um, And I left with uh, big dreams in mind and big name and bright lights and Mm. all that stuff. Um, And like you said, I had some momentum, but my idea of momentum versus the industry standard for momentum they're just they're they're not even close they don't even compare because um you're talking one scene in a tv in a in episode you know uh they're co-star roles so i was in i was in the scenes with the leads but um but in the industry that's not as big of a deal as as people like you and i would think and i was ecstatic when i booked uh, each one of those, yeah. you know, um, but you can't let that uh, kind of run, kind of influence your decision making process. And I did. I kind of saw the big bright lights, and I was blinded by it, and <laughs> kind of wrongfully left. But I learned my lesson. Yeah, I'm back in the south now. <laughs> <laughs> well, it seems to me like it, you could uh, actually make more of a career out of uh, being in this area because, uh, of course, a lot of stuff gets made here now in New Orleans and, and Atlanta. So right. you could well, like probably... like I said, you, yeah. um, there are more... There's access to more roles down here. So you can work 
at a more steady pace, right? So it's more consistent. You can work more often, but you can't necessarily it's make it a full-time career, right? Yeah. It's, it's almost like it's a, I like to tell people it's a hobby that pays on occasion because actors, even myself still to this day, I do short films for free, you know? Yeah. Um, That's what I do just too. Like, exactly. And just like you, we got into the business cause we enjoy it. Right. It's, yeah. it's something that we're passionate about. So, um, so I don't really chase the money. I don't chase it as a career. Um, my position has kind of changed and my, uh, my reason is still the same. I still do it because I love it. Um, I just have different expectations now. Yeah. So I have kind of a different, more mature plan and approach, um, to the film industry as a whole and, and booking roles. But you're, you're absolutely right though. You can work more frequently on, on more projects here in the South than you can, if you were in a major market like mm. New York or Los Angeles. Because most of those films are coming down here anyway. Yeah. They're only casting the major roles out there, and then they're coming down here. But uh, also, like I said earlier, they're starting to allow the southern talent pool to fill in a lot of those recurring roles and mm -hmm. bigger roles on TV series and uh, Netflix series, things like that. So well, not there only is that, some growth in I that. think with COVID pretty much shutting down the the mm -hmm. you know hollywood and everything i honestly think everything's gonna leave there and it's gonna so, <laughs> it, it's funny you just said that because i uh, i literally uh i was just talking to somebody the other day about that but um uh and even today actually a uh former uh fbi federal prosecutor that i know um spoke to him earlier for about an hour and a half um not necessarily about this, but a lot about a lot of these conspiracies about Hollywood. Mm -hmm. um, and I really see that having a, an effect on film business in Hollywood. And I see um, maybe almost a mass exodus of talent mm -hmm. leaving there and coming down south because, first off, all the work is down here. Yeah. And people people want to get they want to be on camera. Mm -hmm. Right. We do what we we do this because we love it. You get out in LA, you get stuck in the cycle of trying to pay bills. Yeah. You know, it may not be as expensive as New York, but it's pretty damn expensive. You know, sure. I was, I was actually living in my car the last, uh, the last month or so that I was there, I was sleeping in my car, Wow. Uh, but the weather, the weather out there was so nice. All I had to do was <laughs> crack my windows and I was still waking up under a blanket yeah. in July in wow. my car. So, so that was great. But, um, <laughs> But I wanted I wanted that experience. I wanted to go out to L.A. with the, the struggling artist mentality. So I was hungry. Um, and like I said, I just kind of just getting around town and going to different parties and things. I just I don't like the vibes that I was getting out there. I didn't see anything that that deterred me from it. But there was a there was a lot of kind of just bad energy that I just didn't connect with. Yeah. Connect with whatever whatever it was. I just I didn't like it. So. Well, the thing is, you know, uh, with, between the two of us, you know, I mean, hold on, I can't, I can't hear you. Okay, can you hear me now? Okay, hello, hello. Check one, two, three. I you think, saying something? Yeah, I think we got a little lag going on here. Yeah. Can uh, you hear me at all, Daniel? Hello. Can you, you hear me? Must not be able to hear us. Yeah, I'm gonna pause for just a moment. Um, but one of the things I was I was saying is, uh, you know, I've I've been on some professional sets 
and I've been on, you know, very <laughs> guerrilla style um, mm-hmm. short films and stuff like that. And, and honestly, I have way more fun just yeah. doing like the short films and just being around friends. And it just feels yeah. feels more punk rock, you know, like you're actually yeah, it wants, doing something. It feels more sort of uh, like underground everyone's authentic everyone's there because they love what they do yeah i mean look at monsters anonymous was is to this day probably the most fun (laughs) that i've had on a set yeah and i was a rapper in jurassic world so i've (laughs) you know i've i've been on you know nine figure budget movies uh as well and i gotta say i had more fun on monsters anonymous than probably any other TV show or film set that I've been on. Before we get into that, you touched on something real quick that I wanted to ask you about. Yeah, you let's actually do, let's played. Back a bit. Yeah, you played. Uh, you did the motion capture for Blue. In well, it's, okay, Jurassic so it wasn't World. it wasn't motion capture, right? So this is it was a little more advanced than that. Now for um, I don't know if they used motion capture at all, but the work that I did was more like a raptor. It was like a CGI stand-in. Mm-hmm. So what they did was uh, they put me in this uh, motion capture suit without all the dots on it. Yeah. Uh, and I had a styrofoam Raptor <laughs> head on and it buckled. It was like a bicycle helmet buckled underneath. <laughs> um, and what they would do is set the camera and they would have me run from A to B and they would film me and they would pull focus and, and just time everything. Hmm. And then they would take me out of the shot and they would roll camera without me there or without anything there. And they would just film it, pull focus, zoom in, zoom out, pull focus, whatever it was that they were doing on the, according to the timing of oh, wow. me running out. Um, and then they would go in there and frame by frame, put in a, uh, just paint a Raptor. That's there. cool. So it wasn't necessarily motion capture, but what was cool about that was the guy, he, and I don't know his name, um, I want to say his name is Tim something, but I could I, I could be totally wrong about that. But it's the same guy who did all the graphics and CGI for uh, Lord of the Rings, Transformers. Um, I mean, he did some big movies. And I'm sitting at this lunch table. And I'm just like, so what do you guys do, you know? And he's like, oh, I'm the CGI, I'm the artist, whatever. I'm like, oh, okay. I'm like, have you done anything else? You know, like Steven Spielberg would hire you some some – college intern to come do his <laughs> graphics for a 250 million dollar movie and he's like yeah uh, i was also in charge of the uh, lord of the rings and uh and transformers and i was like oh okay <laughs> so i'm sitting there having lunch with the heavy hitters the who's who of uh the special effects uh part or segment of the industry which was amazing jurassic world really um was the set that kind of launched my my journey because I I went in as an extra and just got friendly with the people there and the next thing I knew they I was on vacation in Florida and they called me to come back and be a raptor and I was like <laughs> yeah yeah I'm on my way that's <laughs> so, awesome that was a lot of fun are are you afraid <laughs> now of uh, of being typecast as a raptor yeah <laughs> uh, what I actually. I'm afraid of getting typecast as a raptor when I go to my family uh, Christmas parties now, because all oh, my yeah. little cousins, yeah, all my little cousins like to brag to their friends that their cousin, their big cousin, is Blue the Raptor in Jurassic World. Uh, my cousin actually told me that um, 
uh, her teacher, the her kid's teacher, came out at the end of the day and said, um, "Your boys were telling the rest of the class that uh, their cousin is a raptor in Jurassic World," and she starts laughing. <laughs> she goes, "Oh no, he actually is," and I had to send them a picture and everything. And uh, and it turns out it was the teacher was actually a friend of mine from high school. So she starts laughing. She's like, oh, my God, Dad, I had no idea. Because it's not <laughs> something that I it's not something that you can talk about when you're on a set like Jurassic World. You sign an NDA, a non-disclosure agreement every day that you get to set. So every day that you walk in there, you're signing a new one and you're putting uh, for this particular movie. They gave us these stickers to put on our, our phones. So on both cameras, on the selfie camera and on the back side of the phone. If you go to peel the sticker off, like a hidden message appears. So if, if you pulled your phone out and they saw that the sticker, that the message had appeared in the sticker, that meant you you pulled your cam your sticker off, you probably took a picture of something. They were either gonna fire you on the spot wow. or they would ask you to to pull up your pictures and go through them to make sure that you weren't taking video or anything upset. So I couldn't go share those pictures anywhere, you know, at least, at least not until after, uh, after the movie released. Yeah. So once, once it hit theaters, that was it. I, you better believe I texted those, <laughs> those pictures to all kinds of people. Oh, yeah. Shout out. Uh, so I am the rampage in the uh, chat room right now. He said Celtic studios is in Baton Rouge. I've never heard of that, but he said that yeah. uh, they've been doing more stuff over there filming. Yeah. There, um, there's a show that, um, I did a table read actually with uh, one of the actors couldn't make it. So I, I did, I had to read for one of the other actors and it was for um, paradise lost. It's a new series. Oh, yeah, yeah. 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 I've heard of it. Yeah. Yeah. About the body farm and everything. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I went out there for a table read for that, but uh, yeah, Celtic Celtic does good business. Baton Rouge is kind of, uh, I think it, I think it really all started in Baton Rouge or maybe even Shreveport. And then it kind of, found its way to new Orleans. And then now new Orleans has really become a hub mm. in the state of Louisiana for film work. And what I mean by hub is uh, kind of the central location that everybody actually like, that's where their headquarters is. They'll travel elsewhere and they'll go bring trailers to Franklin, uh, Louisiana or, you know, Lafayette or whatever. And they'll go, they'll stay a few days out there and live in trailers and cheap hotel rooms out there. But all their main offices are typically located here in New Orleans. Yeah. I don't know if a lot of people know this, too, but there's uh, there are huge warehouses that house most of the uh, movie props that are used in, in this region. And there's one in Gulfport, and then there's one in Slidell. Slidell, yeah. So I actually got Slidell, to go. I actually that's, got a, to, uh, that's, that's a pretty famous one. That yeah. was a, It was an old car dealership. Yeah. And uh, the guy bought it. And uh, just started buying. I don't know if he was going to garage sales or he was just going to junkyards and just picking stuff up and bringing it over there. And then he just grew a, a movie props <laughs> business from it that does really well. And you can it's right on the interstate it's yeah. right along the interstate service road. So you can see it. I don't know if that's Gauze Boulevard. Uh, I think it is. Yeah, yeah, it is. Um, but as you're as you're approaching Gauze Boulevard on uh, I want to say that is um, westbound. Yeah, uh, I-10. You look over and there's like um, a UFO sitting there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like some space capsules. The dude, I was I in the one in Gulfport and we were filming a movie in there. And I went walking around one night just because there's just so much crap in there. And it's like yep. the size of 10 football fields. 
and I'm walking yep. around and, I, and all of a sudden I look around and I'm surrounded by all these stuffed dead horses. And I'm like, <laughs> what the hell is this? Come to find out it was a set yeah. from Django yeah. Unchained. And yeah, it was like uh-huh. all the dead stuffed horses. Like, this is awesome. Yep. Yep. It's, dude, it's, it's a total, like, somebody like me and you, it's a, it's a nerd's paradise. Oh, yeah. You go in there, and this is all the behind the scenes movie magic. That oh, yeah. When you put it on camera, it moves and it looks real and all this stuff. But you get to see it in person in real life and touch it. And you're like, mm-hmm. this is amazing that this thing actually did this in this movie, you know? Yeah. And, and you can start to pick out, oh, that's the thing from this movie. And, uh, those are the Hummers from uh, Fantastic Four. And, mm-hmm. You know, What were you going to um, say, Jacob? I'm sorry. I didn't mean to cut you off a minute ago. Oh, no. I was just going to say I, um, I took a trip to New Orleans today for uh, my daughter's doctor appointment. She has to go see a specialist in New Orleans. And we drove oh, okay. by the, uh, the yeah. movie warehouse on the interstate. Yeah. Yeah. And we... We were so close to stopping. Like, if we weren't in the middle of a pandemic, we we're going to stop and go look around. <laughs> you're actually about to pull off the interstate, and you're like, oh, they're probably not open. There's yeah. a worldwide yeah. pandemic well, happening right now. I mean, it's wide open. It's so weird because it looks yeah. kind of like someone's old barn. Yeah. But it, yeah, it does. Giant, like, movie whatever on it. Yeah. Like I said, it was a, for the longest time, it was, uh, it was a Chevrolet dealership. Mm-hmm. And I don't even I don't know if it was so much a dealership uh, as much as it was a like kind of like a a lot that that the the region of Chevy dealerships yeah. used to kind of store vehicles. But um, but at one point it was like a car dealership. It's so, so weird I, when I you know, drive by there. Yeah. You, I always look every time I go by because there's something different out front every time you go yeah. by. Yeah, or something's uh, moved around, but yeah. you're right. There's always something new. Because the last there. time I went by, yeah. there was like a UFO sitting there. I was like, oh, yeah. that's awesome. <laughs> I didn't, I didn't see a UFO today, but there was a giant, like, comically large wagon wheel. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. You've seen that? Yeah, there was uh, that, but there's also um, for the longest time he had like this old. It was like a 2003 Suburban, but it was like Jack. It was like a monster truck Suburban that sat out there for the longest time. Um, and if you notice, a lot of the stuff, it's just basically it's all broken, right? But you right. get a movie that wants to use it. That movie crew will they'll put in as little money as possible just to get it working in a working condition mm-hmm. that they can use it to roll camera and then cut. You know, and and I was on. Um, I was uh, I did some background work early on on uh, the movie Trumbo. It wasn't a big movie, but uh, with Brian Cranston. That was a great movie. Yeah, yeah it was a, a Jay Roach movie. Mm-hmm. Um, but they shot they shot here in New Orleans, and um, they used a lot of old cars because it was a period piece. Um, and there was a scene that I did out front of Trumbo's house, and I was one of the news guys. You can't really see me. Um, and there was a car that they kept having to start to move it around or for the scene they needed it or something. And, uh, there was, they had a, a mechanic on site on call because the car kept breaking and they would literally, they just, they fixed the cars just enough to get them <laughs> functioning for the scene. Then they'll shoot the scene mm-hmm. and then that'll be done. Now I've also been on sets like, uh, what's the, um, Gerard Butler, uh, the big, 
weather machine, terrorist attack movie, Geostorm. Geostorm. Oh, Geostorm. Yeah. <laughs> so I was, I did some pre-production on that as one of the like UN soldiers. And, um, there's a lot of Humvee action in that. So we're, we're supposed to be out in the desert. We were shooting in uh, St. Francisville, Louisiana. And this guy has, in fact, it's the same property that they filmed Magnific- Magnificent Seven on. Oh, uh, that's well, cool. Magnificent Seven and even Django did a scene there. It was like, uh, there's a scene in Django where uh, Jamie Foxx and uh, uh, Waltz are sitting up on a hill and they kind of snipe this guy out. He's like plowing his little his little garden yeah yeah, yeah. and they kind of snipe him out from the hill that was filmed on this guy's property but it's a huge like hilly uh sort of like farmland in st francisville louisiana but there's these there's sand there's a whole section of it that's like a it's sand dunes that they built up and if you went into the there's like the way they're set up you kind of walk behind them and then there's like an entrance you can walk into or even drive into it's wide enough and you're in this giant like dust bowl and you wouldn't know if you were standing in the middle of that. If somebody led you there with a blindfold, took your blindfold off, <laughs> you would have no clue that you're in St. Francisville, Louisiana. That's crazy. You'd take your blindfold off and you'd be like, when did we get to Afghanistan? <laughs> I mean, it looks like you're in the middle of uh, a desert in Star Wars or something. Like yeah, that. it's just but um, but same thing there. We, you know, we had a lot of Humvees out there driving through sand. So a lot of the sand was getting up because we were doing some kind of stunt like scenes. Um, it was like a convoy of Humvees. And we ended up, I think one or two of them ended up not working at all. I don't know if they were, they got too much sand up in it or I don't know what happened, but they ended up having to pull those Humvees out and replace those um, just to finish, finish the scene. But it's, the the work that these crews go through to to for to make uh, to please us for an hour oh, yeah. and a half in a, a theater room <laughs> or on our couches oh is, yeah it's pretty amazing yeah it's no surprise that this these movies and tv shows man take three years there's even so, more than yeah the, you know i don't think necessarily they three years is not so much the the film part of it yeah uh, it usually only takes a anywhere from three to six months, depending on how big the script is uh, and any complications, like if they have uh, weather uh, holding them back or if there's a, they're filming in a location that has like a terrorist attack or something, you know, um, but like- <laughs> That's, free, that's free oddly state, specific. Right, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so maybe, sometimes they'll even use the aftermath in a scene. Oh, um, no. Yeah, <laughs> but like Free State of Jones was filming here in Louisiana for six months. Wow. That is yeah. a long time for a film to shoot. Six months is about what it takes for an episodic to film, uh, yeah. to film one season or even right. two, depending like NCIS New Orleans will sometimes uh, they'll do like a 24 episode season and um, and they'll, they'll knock that out in six weeks, uh, six months. But um, but I, I will say this: the NCIS New Orleans production crew, as like a, a crew, they are efficient. Yeah, they know how to move. They get the shots done. They're using four cameras sometimes. Um, they go in there and they get their shots done and they move on. I mean, they don't they don't play around. And um, the the scene that I did have in season four, um, I was they originally they booked me for two days. When I say I was, 
my call time was 5 p.m. and I was finished by 9 p.m. So maybe four hours on set. That's unheard of. Yeah. Typically, even if you have a line or two, they want you there all day long. Even if even if they yeah. don't plan to shoot your coverage until the end of the day, you're usually there all day, right? So like I had a scene in the show Claws. I had an 8.30 a.m. shoot to uh, call time. I didn't even, they didn't even need me until after lunch. So I didn't even shoot until, uh, I don't think I stood on my mark until probably 4.35 o'clock. You know? That's but, another uh, thing about acting that nobody tells you about is the amount yeah. of just boredom that you yeah. go through yeah. on these sets because <laughs> your call time is sometimes seven in the morning and you uh -huh. get there and you don't even like get in front of the camera till like, you know, like you said, four o'clock in the afternoon. Yep. It's like, I've been yep. here all day. Like, why did I have to be here all day? Right. Why? <laughs> <laughs> and and so, sometimes it's just, I don't, I don't know if it's that they just, they don't care or, but so, sometimes in their defense, it is a, um, they plan to shoot your stuff first and then something happens where mm. the lead either has an issue or is late to set or the whole production just decides it's better if we shoot this stuff first. Yeah. And then they figure, you know what, we're paying this guy for 12 hours anyway, so we might as well just have him here all day. And if we decide that we want to shoot his coverage sooner rather than later, then we'll just – he's here. We can just call him to set and we'll, and we'll – Get his stuff done. And in the then, meantime, uh, you're just sitting around eating snacks and <laughs> not me, not me. But you better believe that there is temptation when you're on set to go buy crafty like donuts. Like, oh, they got they got the, they got the peanut butter M and M's today. I yeah. like these. <laughs> Ooh, Twizzler. Ooh, oh, yeah. they got the red vines today. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Now, by by the time they call you to set, you're all puffy and yeah. swollen because all these salty and sweet snacks you've been yeah. munching on. Well, um, oh, let's but, go ahead and but, talk uh, a little bit about the uh, the Monsters Anonymous experience because that was, please, I think, for let's. both of us, that was our very first kind of uh, experience on set, wasn't it? Well, at least it was well, for it, me. In in the um, in the context in which we were involved, you're right. More so, more so you because this was your project. I mean, you wrote, you and Wally wrote that thing. Um, and if it wasn't for you guys, we would have never even been there to begin with. So you had a lot more uh, on your mind and a lot more to worry about than I did. Yeah. Me, I was just you. You basically invited me to come be a clown for two days. <laughs> you know? I had a uh, I had so, a four year uh, uh, film and TV bachelor's degree thrown on me in a month like i had to learn completely yeah. how to how to do everything in a and month budgeting you know it was only it was only a fifteen thousand dollar budget but fifteen thousand dollars is a lot to an individual but now you've got to you've got to mm -hmm. stretch that to make a movie happen yeah and it's not like we had we didn't raise fifteen thousand dollars hoping to make it back yeah we raised fifteen thousand dollars from friends and family to to follow a passion yeah you know but well, that money say, was we gone pretty... before we even got it i mean that we had yeah. people you know at cast you know crew 
and yeah. and yep. you know the the makeup and all the stuff we had to yep. order like that stuff that money was gone before we even got oh, it we it, were just as soon as we got the money it was like checkbook yeah. started you know it was, it was well, on well, fire and, and that's how we came up with the budget we knew how much we needed we raised it and then like you said we spent it it, it all had a place to go mm-hmm. by the time the camp the the funding campaigns ended uh like you said all that money was accounted for. It had a place to go. Mm-hmm. So, um, but I, I thought that uh, I thought y'all did a great job with managing that because, you know, you get fifteen thousand dollars, and some people, it's it's not unlikely for people to to come in there and get greedy and mm-hmm. say, "Oh, we well, had those people. I'm we... doing this, or I did this. Yeah, we had. I'm those not people. doing that because you're not paying me for it. But I gotta say though, and, I, and I'm sure you can second me on this. Um, I think we had. We got really lucky mm-hmm. in that we had probably the best combination of people working <laughs> on that film. Um, and the timing of that, too, is because it, it's it's only been, what, five years? What was that, 2015 Four years. that we it did that? It was 2016 when we filmed it. So we're, we're coming up on okay. it. Yeah, it's been four years. years. <laughs> yeah. So, but four years and think about how different every single one of our lives are. Yeah. I mean, Crystal, the makeup girl, was, mm-hmm. who's phenomenal at what she does. It's no surprise that she has grown in her profession since then, is now like a big makeup big wig on uh, Fear the Walking Dead in mm-hmm. Austin. Yep. Um, I think she's kind of traveling right now, it looks like. I've been kind of following her social media, but... Um, you know, and then uh, there's people, you know, Jeremy and Juliet have moved. They no longer live in Mississippi. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Jason's doing his own. He was in L.A. for a little while. I think he's back and forth between L.A. now, mm-hmm. Jason Edwards. Um, you know, it's we're all just kind of doing different things now. So it's pretty cool to see what transpired from that. Yeah, because at one point. Or right after that, we had so much fun. Everybody was trying to, to, to get another one going. Mm-hmm. But um, that's that's a hard thing to do. You know, we got we were able to, to get a, to rally a lot of people to get behind us, and they were as enthusiastic and as passionate and excited about the project as we were. Um, but uh, to do that twice. Yeah. You know, that's you're well, asking a lot. The dream was to actually use that as a proof of concept mm-hmm. to actually yep. uh, use yep. it as a pitch to do an yeah. ongoing TV series. Yeah. And, and I got to be honest, I, I still think it's a great concept and I still think it can just because we haven't done mm-hmm. it yet doesn't mean it can't. But yeah, well, I'm, um, I'm actually uh, think I'm going to put together a package for it and start pitching it because, you know, once COVID is over with. And they start filming things again. There, there's going to be a run on whatever you know stuff that they can pick up because they're going to yeah. want to instantly go into production on stuff. Well, but but not even you know, um, COVID definitely has its place in um, the impact it's had on the industry. But even without COVID, there's never going to be any shortage of a demand for content. Oh yeah. It's only going to grow. Especially back. now with all the different streaming possibilities oh, the, and stuff. It's, it's the future. Yeah. It's absolutely the future. So if anything, if anything, maybe COVID kind of, um, 
gave you an opportunity to kind of sit back and maybe even reflect on on a path to take. Yeah. Um, and maybe it's a blessing in disguise that you haven't done it yet because COVID is, is going to change how the world yeah. operates. I mean, the entire the way things happen are going to change. And that's across all spectrums, every industry. Yeah. Every industry is going to be fun operating completely different uh, than it has before. So, um, so it's made, like I said, maybe it's a blessing that you haven't done it yet. Yeah. And this is going to give you an opportunity to kind of um, maybe change how you're going to go about doing it, or maybe even ideas that you had for the concept. So, well, me and Wally had, you know, two, three seasons of, of shows planned out. I, like I remember episode y'all by me episode, about that. and we were ready I to was, go, I man. Was, <laughs> I couldn't wait. I was so stoked. I was like, "Yeah, let's do it again. Let's do it." Uh, for me, it wasn't even because I mean, you know, we didn't get nobody got paid for it. Yeah, the only people who made money were the crew members yeah. <laughs> because they were they were doing labor. We had yeah. to pay them, um, and then even Crystal because she she almost not she didn't do it single handedly. Uh, Courtney did a fantastic job, also. And uh, the rest of the crew as well, but same thing. You know, the kind of labor there, what they did was a lot more labor intensive than what we had to do. Now, yeah. you had a lot more on your plate than I did. Um, you know, because this was your project. And well, I can't if it wasn't for Darnell, if it wasn't for Darnell, I would have. You would have had absolutely right. I would have had a nervous right. breakdown on that. Set. But, but, and and what and. Then Darnell was such a natural at what she did. She kind of, she has this uh, like motherly, really natural, nurturing quality about her. Yeah. That to her, it wasn't even, it wasn't work. It was, these are all my friends. And, and it was like, we were all her children. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> and she was like the mother. She was the, the set mother, mm -hmm. which is what she referred to herself as quite a bit. So yeah. <laughs> um, she just, she did that with such ease. I would hire Darnell in a heartbeat for a uh, for a film to organize any kind of film. I was like, uh, whether it's even as the UPM, because she balanced a lot of the budget and she was she was very communicative with you and everyone else about mm -hmm. or or the uh, the people whoever was in charge of the budget. Um, she was very communicative with you guys about uh, how much money we have left. What mm -hmm. what do we need? You know. Um, and again, that another person who she actually had her position was very labor intensive, but again, didn't ask for any money. Mm -hmm. She didn't do it for money. You know, we we had probably I just I don't see something it's happening like that too often. Yeah, where you can get so many people together. But and you do can it see right it. Way. You can see it on the screen yep. when you watch yep. it. Like it, it yep. came out so much better than. Even yeah. I envisioned it. Like when I first, literally, the night me and Jason talked about it. Um, Jason Edwards? Yeah, Jason Edwards. We were, yeah. uh, we, we had gone to eat at uh, Chili's and we were talking <laughs> about we should do a short film, just a class project, you know, throw each throw in a thousand bucks and do it for like two grand. Let's make this little, you know, five, 10 minute short film. We just need yeah. a story. And I was like, well, I've got like this idea. So 
I went and wrote what I could write. I got up to the Elizabeth monologue and I, and I sent it to Wally. And I was like, dude, please help me finish writing this because I don't know how to end it. <laughs> and so he, you know, he took it and like beefed up some of the jokes in it because he said I was too mean. And <laughs> and um, oh, come on, Wally, that's comedy. <laughs> so we we finally got it together and we were going to film this thing in like one night. And we were going to yeah. do it with like, you know, $100 worth of, uh, you know, uh, Halloween store makeup. Yep. And this yep. thing was going to turn out awful. Like it was going to yeah. be awful. BYOB, bring your own <laughs> yeah. snacks, bring your own drinks. You know. But it ended up, you know, once Jeremy got involved, it just kind of ballooned yep. into this whole big thing. And then, you know, Brent yeah. came on board and Brent brought yep. Brian Kaz and his crew. Mm -hmm. And then we got Crystal Shannon who was going to do the makeup. And it just became this huge yeah. thing that was like so far beyond anything I'd ever imagined. And I was so scared yeah. to death. Cause I was like, if this thing falls through, it's on my head, you know, <laughs> <laughs> it's well, on my head. I, I got it. I, while we're on the topic, uh, it helps um, that we had uh, a name like Jeremy London mm -hmm. to get involved because when you have somebody who's who had a uh, been there, done that, right? Somebody that you can Google and pull up information on, yeah. like Jeremy, um, that gave you credibility as a filmmaker. So people were like, "Oh, there! These guys are doing a short film with Jeremy London mm -hmm. right here in Mississippi in my neighborhood." How, yeah. you know, I, how do I, how can I not contribute to that? Mm -hmm. Um, you know, and then he brought Jason in Jason London. Um, and then even yeah. Jackie Siegel and, and then Brian, Brian O'Halloran and, came in. I, and, I re well, I, and I remember when we got the word that Brian O'Halloran had agreed to, to be a part of it. I was like, Oh, there's no way I was, this is going to be, this is going to be so great. <laughs> <laughs> I was, I was a kid in a candy store and I can't, this wasn't even my script. I didn't write it. So I can't imagine how you felt when Jeremy oh was like, hey, I spoke to uh, Brian and um, he's going to come in. for Yeah, because like, this what? was actually during uh, Pensacon because yeah. he, he yeah. and Brian O'Halloran both had tables at Pensacon and I hadn't gotten yeah. there yet. I was going to be there on Saturday. He called right. me up Friday night and was like, dude, we got Brian. He's going to play Dracula. <laughs> and I was like. What the fuck is happening? I was just like, yeah. what is happening right now? And I couldn't believe yeah. it, man. I was like, I called everybody. I called Wally. I was like, dude, fucking Dante is going to be in our movie, man. Like, this is unreal. <laughs> and when I, I, uh, and the I, thing, you know, I hadn't even seen at the time, I had only seen the second clerks. Yeah. And I had never seen the first one. But um, when when we got the that word that Brian was going to join in, I was bragging to everybody. I was like, Dante from Clarks. You, you've never seen Clarks? And I was like, putting the pressure on people. Yeah. And here I am. I had only seen Clerks 2 probably once or twice before. Yeah. So I had I had the slightest clue Dude. who Brian was. I had an idea. Brian being I, in the again, movie was like, you know, Clerks was that movie uh, along with Pulp Fiction. They both came out the same year for me. Like, I saw them both yeah. in the same year in 94. Those two movies were what made me want to be a, a filmmaker. So to mm -hmm. and I and I've watched Clerks. I I have seen the the Clerks so many times. You have no idea. Yeah. And to get him in the movie was just 
I could not have imagined that. I mean, that's like, yeah. might as well have been Steven Spielberg or something. Yep. You know, I was like, I, yep. this can't be happening. Yeah. But think, Shout out think to about, Steven Spielberg. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> think about how close we got to getting uh, Nick Swartzen involved. Oh, yeah. Too. He was almost in the movie, you know, too. Hey, talk Jer- about that. Well, I, I think Jason, Jason, you probably know a lot more um, than I do. I, I probably know as much as you do. I think Jeremy and Nick Swardson were, I think they they already knew each other, but I yeah. think Jeremy yeah. was on a plane ride somewhere, and Nick was on the plane ride with him too, and he asked him if he'd be interested in doing the movie, and he was like, well, send me the, the script. So he sent him the script, and Nick really wanted to do it, but I think he had but, something else going on at the same time. Well, I thought it was it was more that he wanted his buddies in the film. Yeah, I think so. it, it was something think, to do with like that. I don't remember the exact details. Right, and that's again, that's this is coming from Jeremy. That's what Jeremy told us was that he he really liked it. He wanted to do it, but he wanted him and his friends uh, as opposed to yeah, yeah. else. Which you want to like make um, it hit. Right, and I got I got to give credit to Jeremy who stuck with us. Yeah, you know he didn't sell out for the the famous guy, yeah. who uh, who most people could have very easily done, and Jeremy didn't. So he's he stuck with the the uh, the unknowns, and um, he st- stuck true to the mission, which was uh, a class project. You know, yeah. this was this came this whole idea, like you said a second ago, Jason, was meant to be a act an acting class project Mm -hmm. that the class worked on so um and we ended up we we did better with that than i thought the fact that we we allowed people to buy speaking roles and we wrote Mm -hmm. speaking roles in for people who wanted to contribute to the budget yeah um and i thought that was a really cool idea and those people came in and had they had a ball they got to be a movie star for Mm -hmm. a night um (laughs) You know, and hang out with Jeremy London and Jason London and Brian O'Halloran and Jackie Siegel and, and I Jason think that, that second night when we were doing all the uh, the extra scenes with all the, the yeah. zombies, I think everybody was starting to regret it at that point because they were all. <laughs> <laughs> it was from uh, we because st- we had started filming. What was it like Friday night, and we went f- through. Yeah. All day, like Friday to Saturday morning, and then Saturday night into Sunday morning. No, 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 no. I think it was, um, I think it was Saturday night and then Sunday night. Yeah, yeah, it was seven. It, we started at well, we started getting in makeup at like noon or like one, one thirty. Yeah, we on started, Saturday. yeah, we started early with makeup, but because it was only Crystal the first day, it was mm-hmm. Crystal and, by herself for the first half, right. Um, well, she started working on me, and then her assistant got there and started working on. Um, yeah, right, and then right, Courtney. Yeah, right. Yeah. Eventually, Courtney got there, and then it was, but it was still for two of them to knock that out. Well, I which say was knock it out. Awesome, because we started putting the makeup on at Jeremy's house, which is on one side of yeah. Ocean Springs, and then yeah. <laughs> I had to. We had to drive. When it was start time to start going over and getting ready to film, we had to drive across <laughs> Ocean Springs. So and I'm driving have, across Ocean on, Springs huh? like with this complete like devil makeup devil on. And people are like <laughs> looking at me drive by, and I'm just like, "Hi." Yeah. <laughs> 
That's really <laughs> safe to do in the middle of the Bible Belt. Yeah. Yeah, right. <laughs> oh, Diablo. <laughs> Way to go. Way to go, J-Bob. But uh, a lot of people don't know this either. Um, you know, when I first wrote the script, I wrote it not only as a love letter to um, – uh, young Frankenstein because I love Young Frankenstein. I love uh, I'm a big, Mel Brooks. I'm a, I'm a big Mel Brooks guy myself. I wanted to play Frank because not only did I not want to have to memorize any lines, but <laughs> I also wanted. And and it's good that it turned out the way it did because if I'd have gotten the role of Frank, I was just gonna do a complete like um, just. I, I was just gonna copy what Peter Boyle did and Young Frankenstein. But yeah. you took it, and and I was so mad when he gave it to you. I was like, oh, Frank. And, <laughs> and he, didn't, he didn't even give me – wait, but here's the crazy part. I didn't want to play Frank either. Yeah, you didn't even want to oh, play like, Frank. <laughs> no, I didn't. And I have – I actually have um, – because Monsters played at the Oxford Film Fest, and I spoke at uh, after the screening. And uh, I even – the guy, uh, the interviewer asked that question, how did, it, how did you become Frank? And I told him the same thing. I was like, look, I didn't want to be Frankenstein because <laughs> I didn't, he had no real words. He had no yeah. real lines. I wanted to speak and like say things and have fun with some words. Frank was just mumbling the whole time. <laughs> but I knew and, uh, that role. I was like, man, if it's played right, it's going to get the <laughs> most laughs. And that and dude, you and I got to say that you dude, you nailed it. You got exactly yeah. what I wanted out of that part. You and Sheenan both have such chemistry in those yeah, roles. Yeah, we did. We did. I, yeah. Mm-hmm. Because you're so, the totally like the put upon, just like, ugh, like don't want to yeah. be in this marriage anymore, but you still yeah. love her. <laughs> and just like, and to well, this day, you are officially my favorite version of the Frankenstein monster. Well, that is absolutely an honor. So <laughs> and I'm not, you, not blowing but... smoke up your ass. I love it. Like <laughs> you still, as yeah. many times as I've seen that movie, you still make me laugh every time I see it. Well, that's probably because you were there uh, for the, the outtakes when I actually said words as yeah. Frankenstein. Oh, I wish and I had I those still, I still have not seen that footage. <laughs> I've seen that footage. I don't know, I don't know what I don't happened know to who's it. Got it. I don't know who's got it, but I want it. So if you can find whoever's got that, I don't know if you have it or if maybe like Artie or somebody has it, but if you can find out who's got it and get me that clip, <laughs> that would be fantastic. I gotta find because it. Because that was probably one of the highlights of the night. My favorite I don't think part- anybody... Not a single person on set wasn't laughing. My favorite part (laughs) of the entire movie is when they're doing the, let's give uh, Vlad some love and everybody's clapping and you do the one real slow. (laughs) It cracks me up every time I see it. And one other part when uh, Dracula says uh, they got, they got uh, upset with me because I couldn't do the matinees. And then in the background, you hear you go, Oh, (laughs) dude your comic timing is perfect and i was gonna tell you i I think jeremy and again props to jeremy because he knew that about me and i didn't even see it i didn't see it prior to filming Mm -hmm. because it wasn't until the day of and i'm like jeremy what like i don't understand what i'm saying it just says girl and he's like i'm like how do i make that funny which is why I didn't want the role. 
And because uh, I had no clue how I was going to make that funny. And this is where uh, some sort of fundamental acting training comes in, right? It wasn't so much about the words, which uh, lucky for us, Jeremy, we had those exercises in class where we we didn't focus on the words. Mm-hmm. We all had said the same words, but we all had to bring a different emotion to it, yep. right? And different, we had different fluctuations at different parts in the these monologues that we had. And um, Jeremy kind of probably the, when we sat down the night before in Jeremy's den reading the script, um, Brian had just gotten there. Jackie had just pulled up and we all sat down in Jeremy's den and, uh, and did like a little table read. Mm-hmm. It wasn't until that session that I had any clue what I was going to do. I, I mean, like I said, there, there were no real words written out for Frank. It was all grr and, yeah. mm, and it was all these <laughs> moans and groans. However you can spell a moan and a groan in a script. That's all it was. It was all these M's. And yeah. G's and R's put together. <laughs> and Jeremy was like, make that funny. And I'm like, how? how yeah, but I had faith in you. This funny? I had faith and, in you um, because, uh, and Jacob, we used to do this thing in class where nobody ever really sees themselves the way other people see them. And we used to do this thing correct. in class where you sit yep. in front of a class and you just do this blank face. And everybody yeah. in class kind of says what they think, like, you would how be, they see you yeah how they see you yeah. like you what may see yourself as one see? thing but i may see myself as this big cuddly teddy bear but for some reason everybody else saw me as like this intimidating you know tall guy and i'm like i'm not intimidating <laughs> at all but well, you I came think, to I think class I even said fred durst you yeah <laughs> you, <laughs> you came to class one night a little bit and uh when we were doing monologues and you came in one night and you did this monologue from Full House and you did it <laughs> in like this uh, British accent. And yeah, I wish I had it on tape because I could have watched you do, do that all night long. It was so <laughs> freaking so funny. I that that was that came at a time where I was experimenting with uh British accents in acting classes. So <laughs> I didn't do it for any particular reason. I just did it because I, I had auditioned for some roles on the show Preacher mm-hmm. uh, that was filming in New Orleans at the time. And uh, some of them were German. Like one of them was like a German Nazi role or something. Mm-hmm. So I had to learn a German accent. And then I was like, man, I and, th- and that was a 24-hour turnaround. I got the audition Five, 5 p.m. and I had to be there at like 9 a.m. the next morning. So I stayed up all night practicing German accents. Um, but after that audition, um, I was like, you know what? I, I need to start exploring accents. Mm. So I went through this sort of phase in acting classes where um, I was it was it started off as British <laughs> and then it's it would fade to Australian. So what I did, I said, you know what? since I'm naturally going Australian in these accents, um, I'm going to actually just commit to Australian accents and see what happens. And my Australian accent got really efficient. Um, now I bartend. I still do to this day, but I was at the time. And I would, I would work an entire shift as an Australian. <laughs> and I, I told everyone because I would tell them, uh, 
they'd be like, oh, where are you from Australia? I'm like, oh, no, I'm from here. I grew up over in uh, Metairie on uh, Dumain Street. And uh, these <laughs> girls would just buy it up. They're like, no, you're lying. You're from Australia. And I'm like, no, no, what accent are you talking about? I don't even know what accent you're talking about. I have a New Orleans accent. And uh, and they were just convinced that I was Australian. <laughs> but I think had I not, had I just came out and said, oh, yeah, I'm Australian, they would have totally – they wouldn't have they probably wouldn't have bought it as easy as they did when yeah. i started playing with them but dude i'm but, telling um, you that that night that you pulled that that whole thing yeah, out that of was your the, ass that was, was the first that was yeah <laughs> that was the first class that i tried an accent and like you said it was received well yeah. everybody loved it i mean i was and i, I was shocked i didn't think it was going to be that funny and that's why um, I was going to tell you is like man I, you know i know you want to do like the serious acting stuff but you have this you have almost perfect comedic timing, and that's something that can't be taught. So, no, but but I'll tell you where that comes from. I was blessed in that uh, I was introduced to Mel Brooks at a young age, mm -hmm. and I grew up watching Spaceballs, Robin Hood, Men in Tights, Young Frankenstein, History of the World. Yes. I have every single one of those DVDs. You know, um, I'm the people look at me and they don't think. They don't look at me and go, oh, that's mm -hmm. a guy who knows about classic comedy films. Um, but I grew up on things like on films like that, that really kind of, you know, Airplane, Naked Gun, all the Naked Gun movies. Those were uh, my go to style comedies. Yeah. And to see that they don't even exist really anymore. That's kind really. of it's kind of hard for me. But I also a lot of their jokes require some worldly knowledge and life experience, but also um, some critical thinking. Yeah. And uh, I sadly think society's getting further and further away from <laughs> the ability to think critically. So yeah. I don't think a comedy like that could do well anymore, but I would love to see somebody pump those out. I yeah. think that would be great. I would love to do that. <clears throat> I would love to be the next Mel Brooks because all it is is just holding a mirror up to society. And you yeah. need that because nobody yeah. to, nobody gets that now. Like if you were to do no. Blazing Saddles now, you mm -hmm. would. Be, it's like oh, cancel culture. Like you'd be canceled. It's they like would, what we're yeah. doing is you you don't get what we're doing. We're holding a mirror right. up to society. Yeah. And, and people people they try to they try to turn comedy into this sort of evil thing. And it's like oh, you're making fun of racism or whatever and it's like no i'm not making fun of it i'm not mocking it i'm like you said i'm exposing it i'm exploiting yeah. it in a funny manner but the problem with that is some people don't take it that way and some people do you know you've got look at people like i don't know if you know who anthony jesselnick is i've heard the yeah. name yeah yeah, yeah, yeah he's yeah, kind yeah, of yeah. he's kind of a really dark comedian stand-up mm -hmm. comedian um but his jokes are really dark. But if you see it for what they are, if you see it for, okay, this is a stand-up comedian. So, you know, he's he's doing his thing. And his, and then if you actually follow along his jokes, he's really, really good. And I don't mean he's not a he's not a stand-up uh, comedian in like in the modern sense where he just goes up there and talks. You know, he, yeah. he tells funny stories. Yeah. He goes he's up there. Like 
Yeah, he tells yeah. he tells like Rodney Dangerfield style kind of jokes. He he leads you down this path, and then when you least expect it, he throws this little hook in there that you just don't see coming. Yeah, but he does so in such like a magical way. It's like, oh my god, that was so creative. You can't help but laugh yeah. and give him his props for it. But it is a little dark. It is a little twisted. But again, like you said, that it can be therapeutic. And somebody like me or even anybody who watches comedy, why do we watch comedies to begin with? Probably because we want to laugh, right? Yeah. Who doesn't like if you if you know somebody who doesn't like to laugh, they probably have a lot of misery uh, <laughs> in their existence, right? They're probably pretty fairly miserable people. I think a lot but, of people um, don't know how to laugh at themselves these days, too. And yep. it, another yep. thing is, I think with um, – you know, social media and stuff, we've lost the ability to understand intent because mm -hmm. you can't get intent from uh, something that's written down. Like, right. you, you know, you, you, well, could, you could read a George Carlin joke and be like, man, that's yeah. really messed up. But you hear him say it in person and you get yes. the intent behind it, then you understand or, or, it more. Or if you know who George Carlin is, exactly, and you're reading, if you're reading a transcript from him, and somebody tells you, "This is from George Carlin," you're gonna read it totally different than mm -hmm. if somebody handed you the same transcript and said, "This is from Saddam Hussein." Yeah, you know, it's like <laughs> yeah. you're gonna read it completely different. And sarcasm—that's why getting into conversations on social media, because I'm, I'm a, I like to be really sarcastic and have fun with mm -hmm. a lot of these uh serious issues that are being talked about in society these days yep um and i like to have fun with it and be a little sarcastic but sometimes people don't <laughs> receive it as sarcasm yeah and next thing i know i'm in this argument and i'm like oh this person didn't know me at all i do the uh, same I, thing i'm having to like explain myself yeah. i do the same thing but, and that's why that's why i've pretty much left facebook uh, you know i ended yeah, up yeah. i told a joke a few weeks ago that that wasn't <laughs> A left or right, you know, wing joke. It was just, it yeah. was an observation about right. both sides. So but, whatever but side was, you were on, you could get it. But I ended up with right. this whole thing. Ended up with a death threat at the end of it. I'm like, I'm <laughs> done. I'm done here. So, but here, and that's that's the thing. It's like if if you can't laugh at your own ideology that you support, why do you support it? Yeah. What you know, if if and like you said, if you can't laugh at yourself, what good? What kind of existence are you living in? Exactly. You know, we're we we have one opportunity at this life. Um, why make not it, have fun? Yeah, make it the best it. you can Don't, make it. You know, exactly. And I think with in terms of comedy or in regards to comedy, people get caught up in the um the pressure to to be politically correct because they've been so politically correct mm -hmm. in these forums and comment sections and threads that when they're having a conversation with somebody, somebody will tell a dirty joke that goes against what they support. Mm -hmm. They'll laugh at it and then they'll catch themselves laughing and they'll withdraw and say, oh, that's, that's messed up. I, yeah. you, you shouldn't say that. <laughs> and it's like, you were laughing a second ago, you know, just enjoy it. See it for what it is. It was a joke. It's comedy. Laugh at it. Now, 
if you're not a professional comedian and you're out in public or you're at a bar and you make some racist joke, you better expect to get punched in yeah. the face. You know, <laughs> I think that's another thing, too, people have to realize. Like, there is freedom of speech in this country, but there's not freedom from consequences of that speech. That's exactly right. <laughs> and that's that's the difference. It's like, look, you're absolutely right. You had every right to say what you said, but that guy had every right yeah. to punch you in the face for being an asshole because that's what you did. Yeah. And some people don't know. They don't know how to because there is like you said there's a there's a timing aspect of comedy and um and there is a time and a place for every joke so you have to you have to kind of recognize who you're around who's around you where are you um and is that inappropriate you know not and in it's it's hard for me to even say this because comedy is not supposed to have restrictions and rules. Exactly. In fact, <laughs> comedy, comedy is truth, right? It's just, it's what it is. It's, it's like you said, Jason, I can't, I can't put it in better words. It's a, you're turning a mirror on something mm -hmm. and then laughing at it. You're like, you know, when you, when you self reflect and you realize you made a dumb mistake on something, you should be able to sit back and be like, and laugh at it. Yeah. You know, realize, you know what? I'm a human being and I totally just fucked up. But that was, that was kind of silly that I even thought to do that, you know, yeah. but I'm going to make sure that I don't do that again. Well, that's another you know? thing and too. If you can't, and don't it, be so hard on yourself that when you make a mistake, it, your day is ruined. Yeah. Because that, you know, you got to have a, you got to, Society is going to be hard on you enough. Yeah. So you don't you don't need to add to it. That's the thing you know? I, I was going to say. Like people online that will do something stupid or say something stupid and then get canceled or whatever. And it's right. like, or people will bring up something somebody said ten years ago or twenty years ago. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, I'm not. You know, I said some dumb shit too when I was you know, 25 years old or 20 years. Yeah. Like I'm not, I'm 43 years old. You like people grow and people yep. say stupid things and look at as long Kevin as, Hart. yeah, exactly. Like yeah. people say dumb yeah. things and I'm not the same person I was, you know, 10 years ago or five years ago. Like everybody right. grows and it's okay to I, be sorry about stuff. Like if you said something really screwed up, a couple of yeah. years ago, like as long as like, dude, I did not mean that I was a different person. I'm okay with giving that person a pass. All right. But well, also go ahead, Jacob. Yeah. I mean, the people that are most obsessed with it too, weren't even alive when a lot of this happened. Right. Yeah. <laughs> 25 years ago. It's like, you weren't even fucking alive. So yeah. Yeah. World was when you were literally just a sperm. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but, um, Oh man, Jason, you hit something a second ago that I wanted to hit on. Um, oh, damn you guys and your good points. <laughs> well, we're gonna uh, wrap this thing up pretty soon. We're almost at an hour and ten minutes, man. This has been a oh, this nice. has been an awesome conversation, man. I, we we need to do this again because uh, I love having you on the show, man. And. Yeah, I we have way too much fun. But yeah, we do. I make the most out of everything. So. But I I do I don't know if you ever read the uh, the the uh, the other short film that me and Wally have been wanting to do. It's a science fiction 
short film that we've had done for a while and uh, we you know I we've think been you, I think you sent me you had like eight pages done yeah I think it was pretty early done. we ended up I think with yeah. like 13 or 14 pages and then Darnell wanted us to do a, a, another draft of it that's like 27 pages so that we could film like a oh, 30 wow. minute version for yeah. like as a pitch as a TV show and, so. yeah but I, but I also but even not just as a pitch I think um Unfortunately, I think attention spans are getting shorter. Yeah, <laughs> which is why I think these these series are becoming more frequent um, because people can't sit still for two hours anymore. Yeah, you yeah. know. So I don't think a thirty minute movie is such a bad idea. No, it's not. I mean, that's that's that. It to me, I I see that becoming the new feature, like feature length, anywhere from thirty minutes to an hour. And you know, that's maybe a- not, maybe not in the near future, but maybe a few, you know, maybe a couple decades away. I just, the way I see people's attention spans going, they're just, doesn't take much to grab somebody's attention. Oh yeah. But as soon as we can get that thing rolling, man, we're going to, we're going to launch another uh, Kickstarter, uh, try to get some, uh, some private investors for it. And um, I would definitely want to have you on board for it. Get, get to know, get to know your, um, your tax incentive codes yeah. in Mississippi. And uh, there's money when investing in film or investing in anything, really. Um, you know, losses can can typically be written off. Yeah. But I think you might be limited as to how much you can write off. I'm not I'm not sure on um, specifics. Well, we were going to go we were going to go again with, um, you know, Brent and, and Brian Kaz and that whole crew. And we yeah. were going to film in uh louisiana for it so well, but but what i'm saying is uh this the because even if it's a project that we all scrape money together to do ourselves yeah it, it won't hurt to get familiar with these tax codes because oh, yeah, yeah. um there there is a it is a business at the end of the day you know to get distribution they want to know how much you spent because they they need to watch the movie and they say okay you can make this much back there's a and there's a lot of variables involved um actors have they have uh like ticket sales numbers attached to their names and that works just like the stock market really how relevant are they yeah it's really bizarre they kind of it changes um it's like do they have a movie that just came out yeah Uh, are they an oscar winner there's all these things that kind of determine all these things but it's like their gross. What kind of gross ticket sales do they bring, hmm. according to their past movies that they've done? And then you kind of uh, you use that to set a budget, and then you use that to pitch to potential investors because yeah. nobody, especially when you start getting into hundreds of thousands of dollars or a couple million dollars for a low budget, um, you know that's. That's still you're still talking about a hundred thousand dollars that you need to raise. Yeah. And for somebody to give that kind of money up, they're not just going to give it to you and not right. want anything back. They're going to want to make a return, right? They're they're investing in it, and you know um, there is something. And like I said, we had the luxury of not needing to turn a profit yeah. on Monsters Anonymous, which was great because that was when you start getting into that, your your stress you've got one more thing that you now have to worry about. Yeah. It's like, now I have to worry about making this good 
because somebody has to buy it and distribute it mm-hmm. and it has to be good enough to sell tickets so we can pay these people back and but that's a whole good. another element that you add to it and that's and that's what a lot of people don't understand like a guy like yourself who's really passionate about uh, a comic and these big like dc or somebody comes out and they make a suicide squad or something and everybody's like oh that wasn't like the comics and all this because they need to reach and appease to a wider variety, uh, a wider range audience because they need to sell tickets. They need to make that money back, you know? Yeah. Um, and the financial I stuff think, on movies is something like, I didn't even think about it before we yeah. started doing monsters. And then we get into it and we become this, we became a SAG, uh, you know, production. Yeah. And the thing was, is like when you've got, sag actors on your production like we did but you don't they're doing it for free basically yeah and you you have to abide by those union rules. and And the thing is is like sometimes that kind of worked against us too as far as distribution like i put it on amazon prime because it's free to watch if i was to make one single dime off of this movie I would be penalized by SAG-AFTRA and I would have to retroactively go back and pay all the SAG actors that were in the movie. And there was like six or seven of them. And that would be upwards of, you know, several thousand dollars for for two days worth of work. Yeah. And that's a whole nother, that's a whole nother conversation because there are so many variables involved in the the business aspect of (laughs) film. Stuff you don't even think about insurance mm, i didn't know yeah. movies had to have insurance before we yep. did that i had to go yep. take it's, out a a million dollar insurance policy you know how bad my hand was shaking when i was signing that stuff man <laughs> i was like what am i doing like what is happening right now for for sag yeah for the for our whole production we had to have a minimum of one million dollar insurance policy I, this is the first time I'm hearing that. Yeah. <laughs> because look at all the equipment that we had. There was at yeah. least half a million dollars worth of equipment. Finger. What's that? Yeah. <laughs> should have You should have cut off a finger. Yeah, no but shit. I could have really been Frankenstein. <laughs> <laughs> because, you know, what happens if somebody gets injured or, you know, you, yeah. you, you know, break a camera? Hell, the camera itself is $20,000 that we were using, yeah. you know, mm-hmm. like stuff's yep. not cheap. And if somebody, you know, we're working with a, a, a crew of 75 people, you know, if somebody gets hurt or whatever, you know, we, we'd have to pay for that, you know? And so yep. we had this huge insurance policy and it's like, you're looking at a million dollar insurance policy in front of you. And you're just like, right. I'm basically saying I am responsible if anybody gets hurt or anything gets stolen. Yeah. And I'm just like, Oh yep. my God, this is, this yeah. is crazy. Uh, yeah. It's, it's you, when you start getting into a fit, the official business of film, it gets, it's, it is a business yeah. and people don't realize that. I didn't realize that getting into it, but monsters opened my eyes. Monsters anonymous opened my eyes to a lot of that. Yeah. Um, and I was just like, man, there is, there's no wonder there's, so many different types of producers mm-hmm. on a film set. Yep. Because they're, they're managing. I mean, it's, it's a business that's only open for a few months. Yeah. You know, it's it's like a it's like a pop-up shop somewhere. Yeah. But you have to insure it. <laughs> yeah. And it's and you have employees and, and, you know, trying yeah. to do all the tax paperwork for all the people that yeah. worked on them on the film was like, 
I don't. And they didn't know. even get paid. <laughs> yeah, uh, but all the people that did get paid, like all the crew right, the members and did, stuff, right, you know, yeah. you got to do like 1099s and like all kind of different yep. tax forms. And it's like, I yep. just wanted to, to film some people making jokes, man. Yeah. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I can't even do that without the government wanting a piece yeah, of Yeah, no shit, man. <laughs> But uh, but we're we're coming up on the end of the episode, Dan. Thank you so much for coming on the show, man. It's so good to talk to you. It's been it's been a few years since we've talked, man. It's been a while. We kind of comment on things here and there yeah. on social media, but but you're right. We had, like I said, everybody's kind of gone their separate ways. Mm-hmm. You know, life's kind of pulled everybody in different directions. Yeah. So you want to tell everybody where they can find you online? Yeah, so uh, my uh, Snapchat, I don't really get on Snapchat. Uh, I really don't get on Twitter much often either, but I do have those. Um, and you mainly Instagram hang out. Instagram is really probably where I'm more most active. Yeah, I think that's where uh, we, we interact the most is on Instagram. It, yeah, it is, yeah. Um, but Daniel Lewis Levy, Lewis is L-O-U-I-S. There's no spaces, underscores, nothing like that. So it's D-A-N-I-E-L-L-O-U-I-S-L-E-V-Y. Now, uh, filming is really slow right now, so there's not a whole lot of acting stuff that I'm involved in right now. Uh, there, there are a few things that I'm sort of dabbling with and sort of helping with, um, but my main focus lately has been uh, my cocktail business. So uh, quarantine has kind of opened my eyes to an opportunity that, um, that I'm pursuing. So we can get into that on a later date. Are you but- doing a... a, a- uh, a bar like liquor style ice cream truck for adults. <laughs> <laughs> Damn it, Jason. You mean you have one of those too? Dude, I would love that, man. I'd be sloshed every day. I guess I'm not going to pursue that anymore. <laughs> what about no, you, Jacob? It's, it's a little different. It's not, it's, it, there's nothing really, there's nothing really new about it. It's really just that I'm, it's something that I'm doing that so, anybody else could have done. I just, Nobody thought to do it. Well, let me know when you get everything up and running. We'll we'll share it for yeah. you. I make I make the best cocktails you'll ever have. Sweet. What about I've you, Jacob? I've been mixing. I've been craft cocktailing for ten years now. Nice. What about I've you, Jacob? I've had to my tail, dude. I don't know. <laughs> no, I, I'm. But I make I make everything from scratch. I make all my bitters, my syrups. I do all that myself in my nice. kitchen. Nice. So, but anyway. Let's definitely do this again. Hell yeah. What about you, Jacob? What you got going on before we get out of here? Uh, I have a show in September. I don't know if I'm allowed to say I have a show in September yet, (laughs) but uh, I do. So I can't talk about it. Do you have an insurance policy on that show? Yeah. (laughs) You know, I don't have an insurance policy on it. But um, if I die, no one will miss me. So <laughs> I don't know. I just met you, Jacob. I like yeah. you. Cool. You can hang around Thanks, a bit. I appreciate that. We should be best friends now. Yes. Let's do it. Um, before we go, I just want to say that uh, we do have our um, Patreon is up and running as of uh, right now. It is uh, patreon.com slash podcast. I made it as simple as I could make it. For everybody to go there we have three different tiers uh we have a three dollar tier a five dollar tier and a ten dollar tier and if you do the ten dollars per month you actually get uh your business or yourself whatever you needed uh shout it out at the beginning of each episode uh as sort of an ad i guess um you'll get shouted out not only uh, that way but on social media and uh we're gonna do some stickers and stuff soon too so we'll send you out some stickers and uh stickers. You'll, 
you'll get uh, discounts. Uh, at the $10 tier, you'll get some discounts on uh, T-shirts and all that other kind of stuff. I so, like um, stickers. Uh, Dan, Everyone likes stickers. Yeah, everybody <laughs> loves stickers. And we won't be like Bernie Sanders with you uh, and your Bernie Sanders stickers, uh, Jacob. I still ain't got that fucking free bumper sticker. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, well, it's not free. You don't realize you paid for it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, Dan, well, thank maybe you. I paid for it. Yeah. Maybe I paid for it. <laughs> Dan, thank you so much for joining us. And uh, all right, guys. If you'd like to email us, you can email us at openmicerspodcast at gmail.com. We are at openmikers on Twitter and uh, uh, Facebook. And if you'd like to follow us individually, uh, I'm at, at jfunktastic and Jacob is uh, at jacobcraigcomedy. And we will see you guys next Thursday. Thursday.